Hi guys, thanks for tuning into our podcast. In this podcast, we talk about the real essence of a coach in a student's life and how important a bond is between a coach and a student. Now, let's get started. Hi guys, welcome back to another episode and today we got Joel and Peter with us. Joel's a coach and Peter's a student all the way from Melbourne, Australia. Hi guys, how are you doing? Hey guys. Hello, thanks for having me. How's the situation in Melbourne right now? Uh, well, we've just in Melbourne especially, we've just come out of a pretty uh, hard lockdown from all reports. One of the harshest lockdowns um, in the world, I think. I think we were locked down for, Pete, you were probably about to answer this better than me, but it, it felt like six months. How long have we been locked down for? Yeah, so we did about three months with the rest of Australia, maybe two months, um, which the whole country was in lockdown for. And then I think we did another 200 days after that, um, yep. after a second wave in where we live. But the good news is, uh, three hammers that we're back out now, so we're uh, we're slowly starting to um, migrate back out into the world. So it's good. So are all the academies open right now to practice? Uh, so yes, yeah, so I kicked off um, coaching again last weekend. It was the first time I'd gotten back out. Um, before that, there were rules on how far you could travel um, and participants and stuff like that, and you sort of had to bend the rules a little bit if you were able to do it, and you could only do one on ones. Which sorry, which um, which sort of suits my business model, but. Um, yeah, basically last week was the first week back, so, um, but that's okay. Joel, since you said your academy has already started, is there any restrictions on the number of students per academy or per one practice session? Uh, no, not at the moment, no, no, but look, my, which I'll, I'm sure I'll touch on later, I generally only do one on one or one on two anyway, so um, it was always going to be okay for me. But yeah, all the normal processes of social distancing and stuff like that, and, and I suppose technically we've got to wear a mask, although we, we pass as exercise, I guess. Um, if you've been a little bit creative, so I've gotten often away with, with not wearing it and stuff like that. But um, we're down to very minor cases down in Melbourne now anyway. I think the last, I think our 10-day rolling average is under two or something like that. So you've, uh, unless somebody walks past and sneezes on your face with coronavirus at the moment, you're pretty unlucky to get it. And Peter, how are you practicing during the lockdown? Um, so yeah, as Josh said, it was a pretty tough lockdown. Um, and so you can only travel within five kilometres, which limited the number of friends I was able to train with. Um, from a fitness point of view, um, lots of running, uh, some strength training at home with what weights I've got. Um, I didn't get much net sessions in just because, um, again, you were limited by the weather. So obviously we are in winter, so it was raining a lot of the time and you couldn't get outside. Um, and then there was also limits on how long you could be outside for. So for, for a lot of the time, it was only one hour a day. And so I had to be creative about how I used that. Um, so yeah, occasional net sessions um, and a lot of running. Joel, can you please talk us through on how you got into cricket and how you got into cricket coaching as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I've um, I've played cricket ever since I was about uh, seven or eight, and I played every year up until the age of thirty-one, I think it is, including um, a stint in England where I played um, semi-professionally over there in Leeds. Um, I played, so I, I played most representative cricket through juniors. Um, and then eventually made my way into Premier Cricket. Um, before that, I'd actually played um, state representative cricket, or sorry, um, a thing called the uh, the National Carnival. So I played in that and I was captain of that. Uh, and then basically hit my, my goal that I wanted to, which was to play Premier Ones in Melbourne. Um, and th- so to actually, they actually sort of, um, they run hand in hand as to how my cricket journey actually went from cricket into coaching. But in my final year at, uh, at Premier Cricket, which I wasn't to know it was my final year, I'd played 14 first 11 games um, and at the end of the year effectively got cut um, 
due to they, what they thought was attitude problems and running in with other people and other players and stuff like that. And, and it was really um, the first that I'd sort of heard of it. And, and there was a bit of politics involved and stuff like that, which made it a bit more difficult, which I'm not going to get into now. But um, so that sort of broke my heart. And then I went back and played um, first 11 A-turf cricket um, as a captain coach and then and then played a top grade ECA division, which is Eastern Cricket Association, won a premiership and then um, ultimately pretty much finished up there. Um, but I, I started up dynamic cricket coaching in... 2014 I think on the back of on the back of that I realized that um, during my time of playing I would have loved to have had somebody like me there to sort of mentor and um, and guide me through my cricketing journey and and understand that not everybody's the same player and not everybody's robots and everybody has a different personality so that's exactly the reason that I started for one-on-one very small format coaching um, where I could take these students good bad and indifferent no matter what their personalities were um, and try to make them the best versions of themselves that they could be I was I was a pretty talented sort of junior cricketer um, and sure I probably had a few personality issues and stuff like that which I've sort of tried to curb later on in life but um, I would think that the right sort of coaching people and the right people around me at the time um, it could have absolutely got the best out of me so I think I absolutely got the best out of myself but it would have been nice to do it for a bit longer so um, yeah so that's how I sort of started my my academy and my coaching and um, and so far I think I've lived up to those values of, of giving 100% of myself to my students and um, what my expectations are and vice versa and um, I think most of the kids would like working with me and they know what they're going to get out of me and vice versa. Um, and yeah, ultimately holding them accountable, but also allowing them to be who they are as a person and, and not trying to all mould them into the same person, I guess. And Peter, when did you start your cricketing journey? And how did you meet Joel? Um, so I've been playing cricket for as long as I can remember, you know, watching it on the TV. And I used to sit in front of the couch and watch cricket highlights of old games for hours and ends, all I did as a kid. Um, I moved to Melbourne where I live now uh, about seven years ago and I needed a new cricket coach and so my mum just went on the internet and googled I think one-on-one cricket coach near me and and Joel's website was the first that came up. Um, So that would have been right around when we started this business so I was probably one of the the earliest students. Yeah, absolutely Um, were. And yeah, I just, uh, mum just texted him and we went up a meeting and went from there. And how big of an impact has Joel been in your life? (laughs) I don't think I can put words on that. I don't know how much Joel knows this. He probably knows a bit of it. Um, in terms of cricket, I said to him once, I don't think I'd be playing anymore um, if Joel hadn't coached me. And the reason being that at one point, my bowling had gotten to a low point, um, wasn't bowling well anymore, like I used to as a junior. Um, and my batting uh, at that point was basically not good enough to get me a bat. It told me a team I was the one who didn't get to bat. Um, and so I met Joel at a great time, um, who worked in my batting to the point where I'm now an opening batsman. Um, and you know, not at a great, not at an outstanding level, but at a level that I enjoy and can play with my friends. Um, and then obviously, there's lots of lessons Joel's taught me along the way through cricket and outside of life um, have helped me. Uh, when I first met Joel, I was a pretty overweight kid um, with not a lot of fitness, and so he spent a lot of time in the early days teaching me about nutrition and exercise um, and how to do the basic things right, which was a great starting point for me in getting to a, a healthy shape. Joel seems like a coach who can teach a fish to live without water. <laughs> 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 um, no, Peter was fantastic, man. I mean, Peter's, um, he'll be the first to admit that he, he's, he wasn't the most talented, and he probably still isn't, but his work ethic was second to none. And even even from the first couple of sessions, I, he was he was a very confident kid. There was no doubt about that. But um, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this. He probably didn't have the ability to back up the confidence that he had at the time. And so I kicked him up the arse a little bit earlier. And from that moment, he, he basically... 
He came back one session almost apologised for the way he was acting, which was not that bad, mind you. It was just, just a young kid being a young kid. But ever since then, he's effectively hung off every word I've said, and, and I think he's reaped the benefits not only in his cricket, but in his life as well. Um, and I, I can only say that because I'm a person that's made all those mistakes myself. Um, I make no mistake about that. As I said, when I said I started this business because I would have liked to have had somebody there along the way like me, I, I really meant it. Um, so I'd like to think that I've, I've guided Peter not only as a cricketer, but as a person. Uh, but I can only guide him. As they say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So Peter went from a chubby, overweight kid eating too much of his mum and mum and grandmother's pasta and stuff like that and drinking too many cans of coke and then now he's running half marathons and still showing up to my sessions um to compete the work later on that so i mean you can't do that unless you're you're committed to it and you're driven but i mean results are the greatest factor of um confidence as well once he started to see that sort of progress um it became pretty contagious for him so um yeah as i said i guided him no doubt and straightened him up but I've done that to a number of kids, but it's only those that want to see it through and can actually execute it. Um, and foremost, um, put the trust in you that I've always said this, Pete, which you can back me up here. I want you to listen to me until you either find out that I don't know what I'm talking about or that I'm lying. It's one of those two things. So, and, and so far, I think most people would say that um, I don't lie. And for the most part, the things I do talk about, I know what I'm talking about. So, um, and that's only because of who I was as a player and what I was able to get out of myself as well. So um, I know it's not a one-shoe-fits-all kind of policy, but I've, um, I think I think that's one of my greatest skills as well, is being able to identify what everybody can do pretty well as a strengths-based sort of thing and, and guide them down that path and make their strengths stronger. And how long have both of you known each other for? Probably six years, Pete. Would that be about right? Yeah, I, I would, I, I would six say six years. years. Yeah, I reckon I started uh, my coaching academy in 2014, and, and Pete's absolutely right. If he wasn't the first, he was definitely in the first 10 that I'd coached, I reckon, and, and he's been with me ever since. Mm. And ever since that, what's the best innings you've ever seen him play? Well, I've heard you ask one of this on your previous podcast. I actually don't get a lot out to watch my students play. Now, for what makes it sound like that I don't care, I've, I've got a, and I'm sure you'll touch on this later as well, but I've got a principle where my coaching doesn't stop once you leave me. Um, the boys have all got my number, they've all got my email address and I'm available. Um, if not that day, then the next day. They send me an email, I'll respond to it within 24 hours. So um, I don't get out to watch a lot of games, uh, mainly because I've got a young family and I work full time as well. Um, and I do my coaching on the weekends as well. So, um, but I also don't feel as if I need to. I've got such a good relationship with the kids and um, we can sit down and have a proper debrief on the day. Um, and I, I'd like to think that they trust me well enough now that I don't um, criticise them or hang them on telling me the truth. They can absolutely tell me. If they tell me they were feeling like crap, then they can. Um, if they tell me that they stuffed up with their thought processes, then they can. And we just try to work on it from there. So I don't get a chance to go out and watch many games. But I will say, I do remember there was one innings, and Pete, you can probably expand on this further, where Pete and I had done a long pre-season together. I think it was the, the time where he changed from being a, an overweight leg spin bowler to a, an opening batsman. Um, and we put that into a process over sort of a probably a 10 or a 12 week pre-season. And it may not have been that season, so Pete, you can back me up here, but he certainly went out in the first game and scored 70, which I think was his highest score that he'd ever done in the twos. Um, so that was a really good, um, a good way to validate a lot of hard work and a lot of what we'd worked on and put that into practice straight away. So I would say that he would probably say that's his, um, that's his best innings, but I don't want to put words in his mouth. But I guess that was, that was certainly a big pat on the back to the, the process and the program that we were on that um, we were able to turn around that quickly. Sorry, I'll just expand quickly on the innings. Um, I think it was the second year after. So we'd done two full winters yep. and pretty much every second week doing an hour of full batting coaching. And there was a lot of technical overhaul. Um, my technique when I first came to the job was, was not great. Um, so yeah, a lot of technical work, mental work, um, just learning how to be a batsman coming from a spin bowler. Um, 
and yeah, again, a second preseason where just pretty much every second week I was there with Joel working hard. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. Right? It was hard work to do that in winter when it's cold and nobody else is training, so why should you be? But um, I think you saw that in round one. I went out and batted 70 overs and grinded out an 82, which is the type of batsman I am. I don't, I'm not a flashy batsman. I don't score runs quickly, but I can stay in there with a good defence. And it was probably just a perfect innings to sum up who I am as a batsman. Um, and it was a really good vindication just to prove that what I'm doing was going to work. You know, for me at that time, it was a pretty high level of cricket. Peter, has there ever been a situation where Joel was a bit hard on you, but then later on you realised the importance of it? <laughs> yeah, there's two things that come to mind. Yeah, um, in our very first session, as I've said, I wasn't very healthy, and so he was very quick to start putting some fitness into our sessions just to make sure I was doing something. Um, and he had me running up and down the net, um, what you call suicides, where you just go back and forth after a fielding drill to, to build that fitness. And um, uh, on the way back, on the last one, I kicked a ball on the ground to Joel. And what I was trying to do was be helpful, is just get the ball back to him. Um, but straight away, he pulled me up on it and said, no, no, that's lazy, we're not going to do that. And so he made me run back again after I'd already just run a fair bit. Um, and, you know, he wasn't killing me, he was just making me work hard. But uh, he very quickly taught me that little things like that count. And when you do all the little things right, they'll add up. Um, and then the second one is, Joel actually mentioned this, um, there was one session where um, I just wasn't listening to Joel or I was talking back, thinking I knew better. And uh, he was pretty quick to pull me up and say, look, you're paying me to be here and I'm the coach. And he wasn't being arrogant about it. He was just reminding me that, you know, I need to listen to him. And uh, ever since then, as I said, I've trusted every word he said and he still hasn't been proven wrong. I, I just want to add to that. There's, there's an old saying which I like to um, I like to bring out. It says the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So I, I, I absolutely believe that those little things that can go unnoticed, which is, I know was one of your questions, if you let those sort of things go, they can often carry over into everything else. And although none none of the things that I teach are particularly big, none of the major areas are things that nobody else teaches. It's just a matter of getting everything right. Once you start to line up everything, and I don't mean that in terms of being like a rigid sort of style that you must be robotic, but it's absolutely right. It's your attitude, it's the way you present yourself, it's the way you prepare, it's the way you stand at the crease, the way you think between balls. It's all of these kind of things. All of those little things add up to major things. Um, and technique is so far down that list um, that I think that's one of the greatest skill sets that we've been able to introduce as well. So, I mean, Pete's right. In terms of kicking the ball, it absolutely means nothing. But in some regards, it means everything. You know, so, um, you know, and I, I can only say that because I've got the trust of these kids as well. If I didn't think Peter was capable of hearing that kind of feedback and I thought I was going to break him and lose him forever, then I wouldn't do it. So you have to identify um, who you've got and he's a pretty strong character. So. Peter, what's the best of advice you ever received from Joel? I mean, there's plenty of advice that he's told me. Um, a lot of the things that come to mind are technical, so batting skill and fielding and bowling. But um, one of the best things that sticks with me is when he told me to focus on the things that I control. And he, he didn't say that specifically, but uh, I'll give you a bit of background to the story. He was giving me throwdowns and a ball was swung away or swung in, nicked off the seam and gone away. And there was no chance I was ever going to do anything but edge that with the shot I played. And afterwards he asked me, you know, did you do a lot wrong? And I said, I don't think so. And he goes, no, you didn't. And he's basically telling me that there's not much I can do about that. The ball's put a good ball in, you've played the right shot with good technique and you're going to get it out. And that's going to happen in cricket. It's a tough game. And sometimes the bowler's just going to put a ball out that you can't do anything with. Um, so in cricket now, if I get out to a good ball, you know, it happens, it's cricket. Um, whereas if I play a rash shot, then that's something I could have controlled and, and done better with. So I'll focus on that. Um, and that's definitely applied to other areas of my life. You know, even right now, I can't control the pandemic or the lockdown rules that Victoria has. 
that I can control my mindset and how hard I work from my home. Um, and then when things that I can't control come about, I can put more energy into those. And Joel, for a fact, I know that you Aussies like to do things differently. So I just wanted to know, is the coaching system in your country quite different to the other countries in the world? Yeah, uh, I guess so. Australians are a bit weird and eclectic, but I mean, for me, it's always just been about being small format. Um, so I don't do any sessions that are more, I think the most I ever do is three on one and they just happen to be brothers. Um, I do a couple of two on ones, but 90% of my coaching is one on one. Um, now I could absolutely make more money. There's no doubt about that. Um, I could I could squeeze in five kids at a time and run three sessions at once or three sessions at a time and do 15 kids in a day and make triple the money, quadruple the money. Um, but for me, it's not about the money when it comes to this. For me, it's about the care and the effort. So I think it was Jerry Maguire in the movie Jerry Maguire that said, you know, it's less clients and more care. So that's that's what I'm about. Um, and I think the reviews on our on our page speak for themselves. Um, I think we've got, you know, 30 plus reviews and they've all been five star and people rave about us. So, um, you know, for me, that's, that's more important to me. When I meant that I started this business because I wanted someone like me, if I do that in a large format sort of group, um, then that takes away from the whole reason that I started. I want, I want to mentor these kids and make sure that I get the best out of themselves and make them the best version of themselves. And I don't think I can do that by having um, sort of certainly any more than three. So um, that's a little bit different. There's not many um, solely one-on-one -on -one people that go around that um, aren't cricket centers. That, that, that is their main their main focus, but that's good enough for me. Um, and reputation's everything, so. And coming back to the final question, how important do you feel a relationship between a coach and a student should be? Who's answering this one? You want me to answer this one? You can start with it. I'll add to it if I've done it. Well, I think trust is everything. I mean, yeah. I once saw, and I'm sorry if I'm picking on India a little bit here, but I once saw, it was almost like a cricket factory coming out of India where they'd pan across to a field and there was 150 kids there and they were all lined up in a line and they all played a cover drive at exactly the same time and they all looked exactly the same. And I remember thinking, what a terrible way to teach kids. But only the fact is, if you have 150 kids do that, you've now got 100, there's now 149 other kids that you need to compete against to play exactly the same way as you. So I've always been about trying to find the unique aspects of everybody. What makes Peter different from somebody else? What makes this kid different from somebody else? Why am I picking this kid over this kid? So, I mean, that, that's just not something that I, I sort of thought would work. So that's that's not something. What was the question? I've sort of forgotten the question a little bit. Where do we go? Yeah, so back to that. I just think it comes down to trust. I think, and once again, there's another saying, and I do love my sayings, and Peter will attest to this and my analogies, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So, I mean, it's all good for me to sit there and stand at the other end of 22 yards and tell Peter all the things he's doing wrong and yell at him and all these kind of things. But if Peter doesn't like who I am as a person and doesn't respect what I'm trying to tell him that it's coming from a good place and I genuinely want him to do well, then you're ultimately not going to get the best out of him. Um, so it's imperative for me that I never ask my students to do things that either, either A, haven't done myself or B, um, they should know that I've absolutely got their best interests at heart. Other than me getting paid my rate, I get absolutely nothing out of this. Um, and I think you've got to get the parents on side as well. So I, I'm absolutely big on bringing the parents into the sessions if they want to be. Now I know parents, Peter's parents haven't um, had a lot to do in our sessions, but I want the dads and the mums and whatever else and the brothers and sisters to stand around and watch the way I coach. And the reason I do that as well is, 
I've always said that when you leave my sessions, you should be able to do four to six hours on your own before you come back to me in theory. So what I want to do is sometimes educate the dads and the mums and the uncles and the aunties, whoever come along to the sessions, as to the things that I'm working on, the things that I'm looking on. So that when they go down to the cricket nets next time, hopefully they can almost become the coach as well. And I can almost coach the parents to become the coach. So that, and that just fast tracks the whole process. Now, maybe that is the golden ticket to coaching, who knows? Because you know, it probably takes away from some business from me. But ultimately, if I get a kid come back to me in two or three weeks and they've done three sessions in between then and they're working on the right things, then we can actually progress a lot quicker. So that is how we're able to take major leaps that I think a lot of people um, don't. A lot of times you go to a, um, an indoor coaching centre or something and you get the coach who just happens to be a university student who's working there for 20 bucks an hour and he stands at one end and picks out all the faults. You know, Well, that's absolutely fine. But if you can't work out how to rectify the faults and all you can do is tell the kid what they're doing wrong, then you're no good. You're just like any other person standing around the boundary. You've got to be able to identify things and then you've got to be able to rectify them. Now, I'm pretty good at identifying things, but if there are problems that I don't think are a massive issue, then I won't fix them. I'll find out at what point does this student break down in their technique and those kind of things. So yeah, it just comes down to trust. At the end of the day, to answer your original question, the student needs to know that they can trust you. And ultimately, once you've got their trust, I mean, I, I could, if I told Peter that I wanted him to go get me a six pack of beer tonight and run it to my house, um, and he believed that there was some reason that I would be doing it and be teaching him a lesson, I'm sure he would just say, okay, and find out the reason later. And, and you need to be that, um, that committed to what you do. So, but as I said, you need to get their trust and it takes a moment to break it and forever to gain it. So, Pete, do you want to add to that? <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. There's not too much to add to that. Um, I guess I'll touch on the business model of the one-on-one coaching. I think it's very important um, the way that Joel's built the relationship with me and the parents as well. My parents, uh, my dad doesn't probably know a lot about technique cricket. He likes watching cricket, but he doesn't play himself anymore. And my mum's American, so she doesn't have the first clue about cricket except whether I do well or not. Um, but they encouraged me uh, to listen to Joel and to trust in him. I remember he got me to, to write a journal once, which I still have. Um, and so after each coaching session or training session or game, I'll write in the journal and write notes. And when he first suggested it, I went, oh yeah, that's a good idea and didn't do anything about it. And two weeks later, mum's asked me, did you ever get that journal Joel asked you to get? And so it's little things like that where she's making sure I'm committed to Joel and Joel's making sure I'm committed to him and we're all on the same page. And when you've got 30 different coaches that you get in a year that come through your club with club coaches or your indoor coaches, they might tell you six different things. But because I've been going to Joel for six years now, if I'm ever confused on an issue, I know the one person I'm going to trust above all else, and that's Joel. And it means I get a more complete game and I think it all makes sense together. Whereas when you've got things from different coaches going on, you tend to get really confused and you tend to lose your way a bit. And that's probably what happened to me as a leg spinner. I had so many different coaches that I just got too much information. Whereas when it's the one coach with Joel, we've got that good relationship. We take things slow, we work on them properly. Um, that's how we become a better cricketer. Very Ram, I just want to touch on the journal as well. I know we've um, moved away from the initial question, but that is one thing I do want to touch on. If you do want to go back out to your fan base, absolutely keep a journal. We take for granted um, that our memories are going to, you know, that we're going to be able to remember everything that we learn. And, and it's the law of diminishing intent, which means the longer that it takes for you to write something down or do it, the less likely you are to do it. Um, so we have kids leave our sessions all the time going, oh yeah, that was great and I remember that. Come back four weeks later and have forgotten everything. 
Well, I get my students into a habit of writing down notes um, in their journal and their cricketing journal broken up into sections every week if they can. Now, I don't police it. I, I just trust them. At the end of the day, it's no skin off my back whether or not they do or they don't. It's their own progress. Um, and I only ever want students to come to me that want to come to me. And this, that's why we get the best students as well. We get the people. I don't advertise. We've never advertised. Um, we just get word of mouth and that's exactly the way I want it. I don't want parents sending their students to us just for the sake of sending them. I want the kind of kids that go, no, no, we've heard you, you're the best um, and we just trust you implicitly. So when we give them journals and stuff like that, or they go out and get journals, they write down their notes into batting, bowling, fielding, whatever. And it's just a great record keeping, either to show their progress and the way they've come, or more importantly, when they do start to, and I use the word fail very um, loosely, when they do start to go through rough patches later on in their cricketing journey, they can refer back to their notes and be like, oh, I'm not doing this, or I should be doing this better, or oh, that's right. Because as you will know that we are creatures of habit. Generally, once we make a mistake, we will make that mistake again as a recidivist. That's just what we do, especially as cricketers. So generally, if you're making the same mistake as a batsman three years ago, and now you're going through a bad run of form, it's likely it'll be one of the same mistakes you've made before. Um, so you can go back to your journal and be like, oh, I'm not standing still at the crease. I'm not doing this, or you know, I'm, my brain's getting too far ahead of me. I'm not staying in the moment, whatever it might be, it's sort of irrelevant. But you start to keep a catalog of your own um, cricketing journey in history, then nobody will know your game more than you. And you can basically become your own coach out there in the field. So as I've told Peter as well, he gets one session with me a week and he might have three games in between then, maybe not. But that means he's got much more cricket without me than he does with me. And he can then look back and go, I can figure this out during the game. And, and that's, that's how the players become the best version of themselves they can be. So guys, to finish off the podcast, do you want to play a quick game of Would You Rather? Yeah, absolutely. Hi guys, welcome to a new category called Would You Rather. The rules are simple, where both the participants would be given two difficult options to choose from and only one option can be chosen. Now, let's get right into it. Uh, let's start off with Peter then. So, Peter, would you rather get hit, uh, get out for a duck in six innings straight or get hit for six sixes in an over? <laughs> oh, six sixes. Because I'm not even a bowler anymore. So, if I'm, if I'm bowling, I'll be happy just to get a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, would you rather have Kohli or Sachin in your team? Oh, Coley, Sachin's 53. <laughs> <laughs> That's an easy one. Come on, man. <laughs> I don't know how old Sachin is, by the way, so don't. Uh, I don't want your viewers hanging me up on that. But absolutely, <laughs> at the moment, Coley, 100%. Coley's still second best batsman in the world behind Steve Smith, right? Yeah. Peter, uh, would you rather be the star of a bad team or an average player on an elite team? Uh, average player on an elite team. I'd rather be the team. Good one. Wow. Okay. Uh, Joel, would you rather be tall and slow or short and fast? With bowling or running? With bowling. Short and fast, because there are short and fast fast bowlers in the world. There's not many tall and slow fast bowlers in the world, so to speak. Darren Goff was short, he was rapid. You know, so there's plenty of guys that have. Now, let's see if is shorter than me, he's 5 foot 10. So um, if you've got the right action and the right energy in the crease and everything like that, and you're unique and you can swing the ball then um, it doesn't matter how fast you are, so absolutely that. Peter, would you rather play but always lose or win but sit on the bench? <laughs> Think of this one. You're getting the hard one. I play but always lose. I play but always lose. We know if I'm winning if not playing. Joel, would you rather retire as a forgotten coach with a winning record or a famous coach known to lose a championship? Oh, famous coach known to lose a championship. There's nothing wrong with losing. I mean, the hardest thing is getting there. No, I've got no issue losing. If you're good enough to get through the final game, if you're, that's what you're saying, I've got no issue losing. Absolutely none. Peter, last one to you. Would you rather get paid a lot to be on a bad team or paid below average to be on an elite team? Oof, that's a tough one. I've never been paid for any sport-related stuff. Um, 
I'll say high below average on the good time. So guys, I don't want to take more of your time, but it was really nice having both of you here. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I did. I did. Thanks so much. That was that was great fun. Thank you very much. All the best, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, Shreya. Bye. Thank you. See you.